In essence, you create guilt in yourself based on what you choose to believe. And what do I always say? What you believe, believe is one of the most important things about you. Is one of the most important things about you. And so that's what's really important to understand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast designed to help you learn how to study the Bible for yourself by showing you how to look into the historical, philosophical, and cultural background in which it was written. The reason why the Salty Pastor Podcast is so different is because we are trying to get you to think for yourself. Mm. The reason is because what you believe is the most important thing about you. Therefore, you should know what you believe and why you believe it. We're here for you, and we hope this podcast helps you grow in your own faith. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, the salty pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome. It's good to be with you. I'm wearing kind of a Western shirt because this Sunday, September 10th, is our Roundup Sunday where we just gather the whole church back together and we ask them to bring their neighbors, family, and friends. We have a giant steak feed, so it's a massive thing. It's awesome. It's a ton of fun. And so I've got my Western wear on today in celebration. I joined you. And for all of you audio listeners, we both look like really handsome John Wayne uh, ah, lookalikes. Ah, ah, I know ah, you can't ah. see that, but that's definitely what's that's happening. That's definitely the vibe we're giving and off. And you YouTube watchers, don't tell them any different. <laughs> that's right. Uh, we are in our new series right now titled Fresh Start uh, with a tagline of Pack Your Bags. We're going on a guilt trip. Is it, we're going to pack our saddlebags today, Pastor. That's right. Pack up them saddlebags of uh, guilt. Here we and go. And we're going to focus on something that every single human being deals with at some point in their life, which is feeling guilty. Everyone deals with some sort of guilt, some form of shame, some level of regret. Mm. And we really need to kind of dive into how does guilt affect you? Is it good to feel guilty all the time? Are you more spiritual when you feel guilty because you are being convicted by the Holy Spirit? Some people think so. Some people think so. Or is guilt and shame something that is being used against you? Something that undermines your faith? Something that causes you to doubt what Jesus has done in you and what he wants to do through you. Our goal is to try and answer some of these questions as we dig into the issue of guilt, shame, and regret, and what you as a follower of Jesus should do about it. But first, we got to talk about a little bit more. How does this all fit in with the kingdom of God, Pastor? Yeah, well, like we talked on Tuesday, you know, the doctrine of sanctification is what it means to live in the kingdom of God while you're still here on earth. And so the doctrine of sanctification is all about uh, how you as a person deal with the everyday guilt, the everyday shame, the everyday not living up to your own expectations or other people's expectations or whatever. So as you grow in faith, as you mature in life, you have good days and bad days, right? Mm. Some days are good. Some days are bad. Some days you're up. Some days you're down. Our emotions kind of get all over the place sometimes. Why? You know, why does that happen? Why is it up? Why is it down? Why do we have a good day? Why do we have a bad day? What's really interesting to me is that on the outside, things can be going really good, right? But on the inside, you can still have a really bad day. Absolutely. And so it's really interesting, you know, even, you know, I, what is it about us? And so the whole notion is that the, living in the kingdom of God is not just, uh, oh, you've been saved, now just you know go on with your merry life. 
Living in the kingdom of God is, okay, you've been redeemed by Christ. Now it's God's will, as we studied in uh, 1 Thessalonians on Tuesday, it's God's will that you be sanctified, that you be set apart, that something is going on in you. And what that basically means is that every day that you live, something is going on. Mm. And we really need to figure out what makes that thing that's going on in you pull you closer to maturity and more good days as opposed to that which is immature and pulls you more towards bad days. Yeah. And so that's kind of what the doctrine of sanctification is about. It's about your everyday life living here on earth and all of its influences and all of its drives and all of its desires alongside God's will of sanctifying you. Yeah, I think that idea of what is making a good day good and what is making a bad day bad is really key because there's... Um, something I've been really working on in the last year is just, and this was inspired by a series we had previously done about joy is like, yeah. am I choosing to see what God is doing in my life? That's great and good. Or am I only focusing on where there's things that aren't going so good, mm -hmm. which God never promised us an easy life. He never said it was going to be all sunshines and rainbows. Like right. that was never the promise. Right? right. So you can sit and focus on the things that aren't going right. Or you could focus on the multitude of things that are going right. And I think this doctrine of sanctification, sanctification just takes that to the next level, which yeah. is, do you remember what Jesus did for you and what he's continuing to do in you and how he's continually basically, I don't want to say continually wiping the slate clean. He only had to do it once and it was good enough for the rest of all time, but that getting back into right standing and making sure, I think you use the phrase positionally and conditionally. Yes. Um, those were something we talked about on Tuesday. Do you want to dive into that a little bit more, but, but kind of like there's a state of I've been redeemed, but then there's the work that comes after it. You, you said something about marriage. Yeah. <laughs> marriage yeah, it's was like marriage. Example. Yeah, exactly. And so, well, I think the issue of positional is when I, when I am born again and redeemed by Christ in, in the presence of God, I'm covered by the righteousness of Jesus. Mm. So no matter how flawed I am or how personally righteous I am, I'm never perfect. Therefore the blood of Christ covers me in his righteousness. So God sees me as righteous in his eyes. Okay. Now, the issue, though, is that, okay, that's positional. Now, now the question is, is in my life each and every day from that point forward, what condition am I in? Mm. So does the blood of Christ have to cover a lot or is it covering less and less as I grow and mature? And, that, and that's God's will is that we become more aligned like Christ. That's the whole point is that we be like Jesus. Right. And so... That's the process of sanctification. And so I think that sanctification is all about dealing with the issue of guilt, you know, and it, it's all about, because what happens is guilt impacts us in such a negative way. It, it has such a huge impact on us. Uh, like for instance, personally speaking, why do you as a person experience guilt? Where does guilt actually come from? Is it unique to humans or does everybody are all creatures you know, do trees and animals, do they experience guilt? Well, no, they don't. It's a uniquely human experience. And what's fascinating about it is animals do not experience guilt. They also don't experience pride. They don't experience loneliness, joy, anxiety, shame, awe, jealousy, disgust, love, or moral outrage. In the same that w way we do. 
Yeah. I would say my dog gets lonely. But well, I mean, I think in the way we do at a at a deep core, right? They just miss having people around. It's not the same loneliness that we would suffer, right? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, res- what researchers would say, what the, the difference between sentience and instinct, right? That you're instinctually drawn towards a pack and, you know, animals, dogs in particular, are not meant to be isolated. Right. And so whenever you're there, whenever they're instinctually, they respond to that as a positive thing, right? Okay. And so, but when it really comes down to pure loneliness and more or like moral outrage, right? You know, they don't experience that. They don't experience any of that kind of stuff. And so, therefore, the experience of guilt is part of what makes us sentient. Uh, Another way of saying it is this is what the difference between having a soul and not having a soul. Mm. Okay. Now, the question then is if you have a soul, then why do you experience guilt? I mean, where does it actually come from? Well, the the sentient construct, in other words, your consciousness, all right, or your, I would say, your spiritual makeup it has some component to it that causes guilt to exist because guilt does not happen externally from you. There's not this guilt thing out there. It's not a, you walk in, they go, oh, what's that on your coffee table? Oh, well, that's my guilt. Yeah. You see, guilt is an internal emotional experience, okay. right? And that's what's really interesting. It's an emotional response to a mental belief that some moral code has been violated, either your personal code or an objective code, right? Yeah. Now... Uh, what influences you the most, your emotional state or your mental state? And we talked a little bit about this uh, last Sunday, and we're going to pick up on a, a little bit as we were talking about the parable of the talents, is that there's this thing, you have a heart, right? And then you have your mind, and then you have action. And so the question is, is that guilt is an emotional response, but it's a reaction to something you already believe in your mind. That's what's so interesting about it, okay? So, in essence, you create guilt in yourself based on what you choose to believe. And what do I always say? What you believe, believe is one of the most important things about you. Is one of the most important things about you. And so that's what's really important to understand. So, so if I feel that I've violated my own moral code, my code of honor that says this is the way I want to treat people or this is the way I want to do things, uh, then I feel guilty about myself or if there's an external or objective standard and I feel that I have violated that. So this cuts to the very core now of your definition of what it means to be a human being be- because people have different definitions of human beings and an atheist has a different definition of what it means to be a human being than let's say a person of faith, right? See, an atheist doesn't believe you have a soul. Uh, an atheist, an intellectually honest atheist, is deterministic, meaning there is no free will, right? You're all you are is simply a a mass of you know stimulus response, highly complicated. But uh, Sam Harris says in his one of his books that. The whole notion of sentience or consciousness or even free will is an illusion 
that our brain creates. Uh, it's, he says, it's like a happy illusion, but it's still not real. And so now that's a really interesting point of definition of what it means to be a human being. The implications of that are broad. There is no objective morality and there is no more. You can be a moral atheist, but the question is, is there's no basis for your morality. And as a matter of fact, some of the greatest uh, tyrants in history, you know, they were all atheists who had a highly complex rationalization for their atheism. Adolf Hitler is a perfect example and his final solution. I mean, he, he actually wrote out why we're going to exterminate the Jews and it's going to solve all of our problems. And I mean, he had this huge rational, logical process, mm. you know, uh, a person like me, a person of faith, I'm not an atheist, look at it and go, that's nuts. Right. You know, that's just crazy because human beings are sentient, you know, soulful creatures with moral value. Uh, you read what Lenin wrote, same thing. You, re you read what Mao Zedong wrote, same thing. These guys are all avid atheists. The, then, you know, it's important to understand these definitions of what it means to be a human being when it comes to your own personal guilt, because until you clarify what your definition of, is of a human being and your definition of your own essence and, and existence, then you're never going to be able to figure out how to adequately perceive guilt and deal with it. You see that that's because what you believe and that core belief is so critical to the outcome. And the, the people try to deal with their guilt in all these different ways using all these different definitions. Okay. Some people, like we talked on Tuesday, they try to pay for it themselves, which is called penance. And there's a new psychological, uh, uh, phenomena out there. They call it the Dauber syndrome from Harry Potter. And you know, the little Dobby, the little oh, Dobby syndrome, the, yeah, yeah oh. the Dobby syndrome, the little guy who, you know, would beat his head. Yeah. And this is, you know, kids do this. Uh, kids who cut themselves and kids who bang their heads on the wall. And, you know, it's, it's not always an act of, of uh, frustration, maybe when they're little toddlers, but as you, they become preteens and stuff, it's an issue of guilt. It's a strange form of guilt, but it's an issue of guilt. And that is there's a standard that they believe is objective. They don't live up to it. They feel inadequate, so they cut themselves. See, they, they're self-punishing. Mm. So that's one of the reasons why this, uh, uh, it used to be called uh, flagellation. You know, you take a whip, it's like a flagell, and then you would whip yourself on the back. Right. Okay. And it's called self-flagellation. So you, you whip yourself. People beat themselves up all the time. Right. Uh, one of the most common ways is people develop negative tapes that play in their brain. You know, they develop these tapes when they're young or children. It's like, it says, well, I'll never measure up. I'm not good enough. I'm always a failure. No matter what, why try these things start playing in your, you know, brain over and over again. So some people try to deal with their guilt in that way by paying a penance, but it doesn't work. Uh, some people try to pay deal with their guilt by just playing those negative tapes. You know, um, the other people try to convince themselves that it's not real. That's what atheists do. Well, guilt is not real. There's nothing to feel guilty about. Postmodernism that I talk about in deconstructionism is such a vile ideology because it says there is no truth. And so what it does is it removes your capacity to resolve your guilt. Like, and we'll talk a little bit, we'll dig into that just a little bit more, but that's the primary problem with postmodernism and deconstructionism. The, the problem with moral relativism, that there's no actual 
objective morals, what it does is it deal, it makes it impossible for you to even admit that you are guilty and, and let alone deal with guilt. Cause what you do is you just simply say, well, I was programmed to feel guilty. I shouldn't feel guilty. Right. And it's just a societal construct. It's just, it's just total crazy. And so, and we talked about atheism and what it does. All of these things have to do with your core belief of who you are as a human being. And so how you deal with guilt, then how you perceive guilt in your life is representative of your core belief about who you are and why you exist. Well, I think that it will drastically, and we talked about this a little bit on Tuesday, but it's going to drastically influence how you live your life, how anybody lives their life, yeah. right? Like what they believe and then how they interpret guilt and what they should feel guilty about. And then the uh, ramifications of said guilt is going to drastically change how they go about their lives, right? Mm -hmm. Like that it will be a huge factor in what they do and how they do it for the rest of their lives, right? Yeah, I just read a report that said that an average healthy person feels guilty on average five hours every week. Five oh hours. That's a lot of your, that's a lot of your life. Just feeling guilty. Just feeling guilty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So if guilt comes from our own sense of violating um, a moral code, mm -hmm. then what does guilt actually do to us as people? Well, according to research, what guilt does is, number one, it leads to anxiety and depression, of course. It can lead to paranoia in a lot of ways. And it also uh, creates a phenomenon in you called projection. Okay. Okay. And this is what's really interesting is that you project your feelings of guilt that you have for yourself on a per person's interaction or behavior towards you. Okay. So there was a behavioral study where they wanted to see uh, how people would respond. And so they got women and they said, okay, what we're going to do is we want you to go out and we want you to interview for jobs. But before you go, we're going to put a big hideous scar on your face. So a makeup artist would come in and, you know, they put this big scar on their face somewhere like that. So it was real noticeable. And then what they said, okay, why don't you go to this job interview and, and uh, give us your observations if whether the scar made a difference or not. And so they said, okay. So they got them all dressed up in uh, basic uh, clothing, you know, interview clothing, you know, dressed them up. And while they're doing that, without them knowing, they said, oh, we got to touch up the scar and what they did is they took it off. Mm. So they went out cause they saw this scar in a mirror. They saw it put on da, 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 And then they were able to remove it. And these people went out, they thought they had this scar and they go into this interview and they come back and you know what they reported? Oh, they referenced my scar in the interview. They, they were staring, the they whole were staring time. at my scar the whole time. And I knew I didn't get the job because of my, of, of this scar. I knew they were thinking uh, less of me, mm. even though they didn't have a scar on their face mm. and behavioral scientists said, what's interesting about this experiment is it shows that when we have guilt, right? Okay. What we do is we tend to interpret every pe other people's interactions with us through that lens. Okay. So we think people see us that way when in actuality they don't. So the, the thing about guilt that's so amazing to me is that it impacts your reception and interpretation of what's going on around you. 
So let's put two things together here, and this is where you got to really put your thinking cap on, okay? Guilt is an emotional response to violating a moral standard, right? Okay. Our society has standards of beauty. Therefore, if a woman doesn't live up to the standard of beauty in her mind, then she has a negative feeling about her looks, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Technically, that negative feeling about her looks that doesn't live up to the standard fits under the definition of guilt. She feels guilty that she doesn't measure up to the standard that she says exists. So then she interprets what goes on in her life in a certain way. Now, if this is left unresolved, it leads to anxiety, even depression among women, especially girls, mm. young girls. The, the beauty standard now is so high, these girls can't live up to it. So how many girls walk around feeling terrible about their looks? Lots of them. Lots of them. You know what's really fascinating? Did you know that today a 12-year-old can see more beautiful people than a king could see in his entire reign 150 years ago? Wow. Yeah. How often would a king who would see more subjects than anybody else, would you can see more in one hour beautiful people perfect people, gorgeous people than a king could see in his entire reign 150 to 200 years ago. It's abs so the point is, is that what does that do to our thinking? Does that lower the standard of beauty or raise the standard of beauty? Raise it. It raises it. Yeah, it, it's so, it, it raises it so high that no wonder you can't find a girl who says, I feel really secure and awesome about how I look. Well, and even the ones that do look beautiful or that, that others are idolizing for their beauty, they are also dealing with, yeah. I don't look good enough. And I'm sure in your experience of working with really beautiful people in these competitions and stuff, you know, you yeah. and everybody else is thinking, this gal is the idol, right? They yeah. all idol, but you, you know her and she sits there and complains about all the things wrong with her body yeah. all the time. Correct. And so it's a, isn't it that an interesting phenomenon? Yeah. Now it also works with guys. It's the same type of phenomena with guys, but instead of maybe looks, it has to do with productivity. Okay. Right. And so it has to do uh, with value. Are you athletic enough? Are you smart enough? Are you funny enough? Do you got game with the ladies enough? Um, are you a good gamer? Are you a good, you see, it all has to right. do with their capacity or ability. And, and so what is the capacity and ability that is presented in any industry or any hobby or any exploit with guys, it's incredibly high. This is the thing that, that media has done, particularly social media to young men. And so just like young women are insecure about their looks, young men are insecure about their ability. Mm. And so what has happened is this is, guilt is producing this incredible societal sense that nobody is good enough. And that everybody's a failure before they even try. I mean, I think the hardest thing too is like, it seems like society is creating more guilt than less these days, right? Amen. Like, especially for the rise in people that supposedly don't believe in anything. It seems like, well, 
if there were more people who didn't actually feel guilty and they actually believed what they said they did, then there should be a lot less people feeling guilty in their lives mm-hmm. because, you know, as a whole, there's a lot, especially at least in America, there's a lot of people moving away from the Christian ethic. You would assume that people would be like, well, I don't feel guilty about anything these days, but instead it's, I feel guilty about everything yeah. these days. And it's yeah. like, but I thought you didn't even, I thought you believed that you were rocks and nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, or I thought the church produced guilt, you know, or religion yeah. produces yeah, guilt. I thought when you left the church that you, you would suddenly feel better and, no, they have no. more guilt. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting is what is the primary driver of the addiction cycle? I would assume guilt, guilt and, and shame. shame. 100%. It's the driver of codependency and all codependent relationships, and it's the driver of all addictions. So talk to me uh, about how we deal with guilt at this level in our lives. Well, I think, you know, this whole series, we're going to dig into it and I believe that first and foremost, you have to reject the beliefs that undermine that there is an objective moral code mm. because guilt resides in your morality. Okay. Okay. And so you, what you need to do is work on clarifying your core beliefs because what you believe is one of the most important things about you. Everything begins with a strong foundation in the moral universe. So what you believe about the moral universe and the objective standards make all the difference. And if there is a moral standard, think deeply about what it is. And this is really important because the more you understand it, the less likely you will have a reflexive guilt response. Okay. Okay. So this is something interesting a theology professor once said to me a long time ago, and it has come so true. And that is when you're young and new in the faith, guess what? There are so, you have a list of non-negotiables, black and white things. He goes a mile long. But as you grow to maturity and wisdom in the faith, what you realize is that there are fewer and fewer non-negotiables. Mm. He says, and, and once you know what those are, you got to be willing to die on those hills. He said, but what you realize is there's very few. Right. And, and so what happens is, you know, when I was, and I see this in my own life, when I was like, you know, 22 or 23, and I was a young follower of Christ, man, I had more rules than you could imagine, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I spent more time focusing on people. Well, that person's not a good Christian, you know, because they listen to heavy metal music. They're, this person isn't a Christian because they do. You see what I'm saying? When we're young, we have that, that kind of childish or infantile view of morality. But what you do is you get older and you grow and mature. You start realizing, wow, I'm clarifying these foundational stones. And But the more I clarify them, the more I understand them, the less I feel guilty about everything. Right. And so that's important. Number two is... Focus on how you are unable to live up to your standard or that objective standard. Now, some people say, wait a second, that's counterintuitive. That is counterintuitive. (laughs) But that's exactly what you need to do. You see, I am unable to live up to the objective standard. I am unable to live up to my own standard of my expectations of my behavior. And this is the beauty of following Jesus. People of faith know and understand what the moral standard is, they also realize they can't achieve it, and yet they're at peace. How does that work? I mean, I don't, I don't really understand it because it's like, in theory, 
you understand that yes, Jesus is ultimately the standard and that's where you should be, but you go out and make your own standard. And he's like, no, you don't have to live by that anymore. Right? Like that's what he came and set us free from Mm -hmm. was the, the piling up of all of these rules and ways of living that the Jewish faith got to. And he was like, this isn't what I, this was never the plan. Yeah. This was never the plan. You guys have put all of these standards, all of these things, you've mutated this into something it was never meant to be. And all I want you to do is just like, he boiled all of the, how, how many Jewish laws were there? 600 and. Well, that's just dietary laws. Dietary laws. <laughs> There's like a whole lot of them. Billion things. Yeah. And you like, you know what it comes down to? Yeah. Two, two rules. Yeah. Love God. And love your neighbor as yeah. yourself. Right. And so it's like. But what's so interesting, let me, let me push you a little bit on this. And that is, is that let's say Jesus is the standard. Okay. Right. Do you live up to that standard in your life? No, but I also think that there's things that I put on myself that he doesn't ask of me. Okay. So I make it harder on myself. So you even make it harder on yourself. Is what I think. Yeah. I, at least, and maybe that's unique Does to me. Does that produce guilt in you? Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, <laughs> so what's interesting though is though, but when I know Jesus is a standard, I don't live up to Jesus. What does he say? Does he punish me for not being like him or what does he do? No, he covers it with grace. There you go. So the issue is grace. Well, and that's the way I uh, had, that's the way the reason the laws existed made sense to me, at least when it was most recently explained to me was the, the laws were to basically be a ruler that you could measure yourself against and you would always come up short. There was no way you were ever going to do all of them perfectly. Mm -hmm. So God basically had the, gave us the opportunity to look at these laws, try to live underneath them and realize I'm never going to be enough. And then he's like, but that's okay. Cause I'm sending something that's going to make it. So you are, and yeah. that's Jesus. Right. And yeah. so I think we've just put ourselves back under that thing of like, well, I got to live up to these things. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not asking you to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You're, you're covered with grace. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it, but you're covered. You're covered. And now that frees me to live. You see, this is what's so interesting. I can live in sanctification, the process of being, of changing my condition, because I'm not in fear of violating a law. Right. Okay. It's already been covered. It's get up and try again, Mm -hmm. get up and try again. See that that's why Christians who are serious about their faith, all research points this out. They are the most happy people, the most joyful people, the most at peace people, and they're the most resilient people. Mm. They're the most resilient. Why? Because they've been set free from the law of sin and death, Mm. which drives you to feel guilty. And you're set free from that. Now, it's okay. I'll never live up to it, but boy, it's like, I get to try again. I get to try again. I get to do better. Every day is an opportunity to live more in the kingdom of God, be more like Christ. You're, 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 you're always just kind of, you get an endless amount of opportunities to go and win. And that's, what's so awesome about it. Yeah. You, your last, um, your last message from the last series talked about living in the possibilities or living in the fear. Right. Right. And that applies to this as well. You can live in the possibilities of, yeah, you might mess up and you know, you will mess up, but God's got you, or you can live in the, I'm going to live in the guilt and the shame and be down here in the, the swamp forever because I messed up. 
right? Right, and this is one of the most critical aspects of parenting, you know. Like, when your kids are little, when they're real, real little, you know, it's don't do that. Why? Because I said so. You'll get you'll get punished, right? you know. But the most important thing, and, and uh, our parenting coach talks about this all the time, is that you want to move out of that type of parenting into – Okay, here are your choices. What choice do you want? And each choice has a consequence. Right. So what happens is because in the first way, right, it's so childish, but it's required for their safety. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because I can't sit there. Not running out in traffic. Yeah. Don't run out in the road. You know because why you'll get in trouble. Right. (laughs) Because they can't under they they can't put two and together. Oh, there's a car. It might run over me, and they can't see me because I'm so small. You know so. But you want to move them into understanding what's best for them. Because it's not just like run out into traffic. It's like playing with fire or doing this. Right. You want them to become self-regulators because right. that's how they improve and grow. And they start figuring out how to become a better human because they're self-regulating themselves. And so they're developing their own code. And so that that's really the beautiful thing about following Christ and living in grace is that we get an endless opportunity to always grow and do better. Absolutely. Do you, you have any other thoughts, Pastor, before we wrapped up? Well, I just wanted to say what, it all comes back, you know, to clarify what you believe. Ideology is critically important. You don't have to be a deep thinker and you don't have to be this person that figures out the alignment of the universe and quantum physics and anything. just say, what do I think? What I think is a human being and, 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 and do I have a soul or not? And I'm, am I going to live that way? Because what you believe, your core beliefs are the most important thing about you. Absolutely. It's so important that we even put it in the intro to the podcast. So (laughs) we appreciate you guys so much for joining us today. And uh, we do encourage you, if you are in the Boise area, come join us for Roundup Sunday. It's going to be a really fun uh, morning of worship um, with a new message series kicking off. And then uh, we're going to be going into 500 pounds of tri-tip steak and fun and photo booths and activities for the kids so if you've got littles there's going to be plenty of things for them to do they can they'll have all kinds of different activities available it's just to them. an old-fashioned yeah. picnic carnival yeah. it is a ton of fun it's going to be a blast so thank you guys so much for joining us and if you are in the boise area come join us on sunday here at foothills Ch- christian church for the roundup otherwise we'll see you next week here on the salty pastor podcast see you soon partner